I know we at the Network Resource Center, uh, we feel like this facility is very nice and it's been very accommodating. And uh, unless something really major goes wrong today, we're really hoping we can use it again next year. But uh, anyway, that's coming from you know just the organizational standpoint and so forth. But uh, my name is John Musgrave, and uh, I serve as what we call the uh, Church Health uh, Director uh, at the Network Resource Center. And I'm going to be helping with the session today. Brent Heisman, a good friend of mine for, uh, I don't know how long I've known Brent, uh, don't want to admit it, uh, that would admit both of our ages to some degree, but uh, Pastor Brent pastors in Marion, and we have a similar love and compassion for discipleship. And uh, we, uh, God began birthing something in my heart uh, several years ago, and uh, we uh, wrote a little booklet, which we gave you, as you came in today on relational discipleship. And uh, in my journeys over the last several years, I found that Brent, Pastor Brent, is uh, not only passionate, but he's using some really good tools in his church that focus on relational discipleship. So uh, I'm probably going to be sharing more from the, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, the vision, uh, you know, what I'd love to see it look like. And Pastor Brent is probably going to be sharing more from a practical perspective of what it's looked like in his local church setting. So uh, thank you again for being with us today, and we're looking forward to uh, our time. We're going to try to leave about 15 minutes at the end for Q&A, and uh, we'll both be here in the room to help facilitate that. So, uh, so, so let's go ahead and get started. You know, I live with the conviction that one of the main things that Jesus asked us to do before he left this globe was to make disciples. I mean, uh, uh, I'm not saying he didn't tell us some other things, but he really made a point to the disciples, Matthew 28, you know, Luke 24, and so forth. You know, when you go, or as you're going, uh, you know, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And we don't want to get into the, 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 the crux of that text, but, but there is a real sense that the verbiage there basically means as you're going through life, as you're, as you're living your life, make disciples. And I think sometimes uh, we, we can add or take away from that. But for me, that means in the relationships that I have day to day, I need to be looking for ways to share my faith and not only share my faith and get a commitment, but begin to walk with that person and help them to grow in their relationship with God. And uh, uh, you know, when you think about that concept of making disciples, we realize that uh, in the past, again, I grew up in this thing called the AG. You can get mad at me later or whatever, throw tomatoes, but I've not known anything else with the assemblies of God. Uh, but many times we've reduced discipleship, in my opinion, to a classroom. You know, go to Discipleship 101, go to Discipleship 201, or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not speaking ill about a classroom setting. I think knowledge is very important. But personally, I believe if we stop at knowledge, stop at education, we've stopped short of the biblical model of discipleship. Amen. And that's, that, that's just my opinion. Okay, That's all it's worth. But I find that Paul in 1 Corinthians says it like this, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you, so I urge you to imitate me. So my question is, number one, who is my spiritual father? Okay, And I'll be honest with you, growing up in the church, there were a lot of people that deposited in my life, but I can't really think of one individual individually that put their arm around me and said, I want to disciple you, John. Now, there was this Sunday school teacher and that Sunday school teacher and there was this pastor and so forth. And, and again, I am indebted to every one of those people. But I can't remember one person that said, John, let me walk with you. Let me lead you in the things of Christ, you know, and so forth. And so for me, again, I'm not disparaging Sunday school or Wednesday night or a, a pastor's relationship, but I do wonder... I do wonder how many of us have grown up in Christ with more of a hodgepodge of discipleship than a real discipleship relationship. And then my other question, of course, when I bring that up about the fathers and the sons, I have to ask myself the question, who am I fathering? 
was one of my kids. And again, I can go back in my ministry and I can point to people that I hope I've made a deposit in their life. I, I hope that my influence or my preaching, my teaching or whatever might have caused them to grow in some form or fashion. But I can't think of very many people that I purposely, intentionally said, hey, let's get together on a weekly or bi-weekly or whatever basis. I want to walk with you in a discipleship relationship. And uh, so I, I want you to be aware that I believe that that's a missing piece in discipleship. And uh, some of you were at Celebration Tour, some of you weren't, but uh, I used this illustration. And uh, uh, my dad was a backyard mechanic. Okay, and that's probably back in the day when you could do more to your car than you could do today. But, I mean, I, I remember watching him tune up the car. Plugs, points, condenser, all that good stuff, you know. Uh, he changed the brakes, you know, and changed the oil and all that stuff, you know. And almost every time that he did that, he would call to me, Hey, John, come watch me, come watch me. And I must have watched my dad, I don't know, 50 times change the oil, you know, dozen times change the brakes. You know, the tune-up, gapping the points and gapping the park plugs and all that good stuff. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> just Google it. Just Google it. <laughs> but my dad, my dad never turned and said, John, here's the tools. You do it. Let me watch you. And I would suggest to you that as we educate our constituents, we're letting them watch us do Jesus but we're not letting them do Jesus. I would just suggest that we're, we're saying, hey, watch me in my Christian walk, but we're not handing them the tools and say, here, you do it now. Let me watch you do Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart that we see that modeled in Jesus. I may be wrong. You're not going to find chapter and verse, but I do know that there was a time when Jesus set out the 70. And they came back all excited. Man, man, we heal people. The demons are even subject to us. This is so cool, Jesus. And Jesus said, calm down, guys. Calm down. I saw that turkey fall from heaven like lightning from the sky. Don't, don't get all hipped up about that stuff. He said, rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? Now, I don't want to overemphasize that passage. I personally believe that that was a normal process with Jesus and his disciples. I personally believe that wasn't a one-time deal. I believe anytime Jesus sent out the 12 or the 70, or there was some kind of a debriefing afterwards, and they dialogued back and forth. And say what you will, but I believe that's relationship discipleship, relational discipleship. Just an opportunity to talk about what God's talking or doing in and through your life. I believe Paul in this letter talks about sons in the faith, father in the faith, and so forth. I think that's what Barnabas did to Paul. I don't think we would have a Paul if it wasn't for Barnabas. Now, that's just my opinion again. But Barnabas said, hey, I know a guy that can handle this assignment. So he goes and finds Saul, brings him back to Antioch. Says, hey, I think that this is for you, buddy. But he didn't leave him there. He walked with him. He walked with him. And there came a time when they separated. And then what did Paul do? He grabbed Timothy and Titus and different sons in the faith and brought them closer. Okay? I just think it's modeled in scriptures. And I believe that discipleship should be a classroom setting. I believe it should be knowledge-based. I believe there should be something being shared. But I don't know that it has to be so structured. Again, you, you can throw tomatoes at me. You can, man, that was the worst session we went to at Synergy. I can't believe they let that guy talk. <laughs> but let's say, for example, that I've got a young man at the church that I pastor. And let's say, for example, his work schedule hinders him from being as consistent in our public services as he would like to be. Maybe he works every other weekend. Maybe he can't come to Wednesday night Bible study or a care group because he's on an afternoon shift or whatever. But what's to keep me from saying, hey, Mike, you got 
time this week to just have coffee with me? And what's to keep me from saying, hey, Mike, you, you were in church last Sunday. I know your schedule and so forth, but did you hear anything in the sermon that kind of lodged in your heart? Yeah, you know that one thing you said about this. Is, well, do you think God might have been talking to you about that? Yeah, I really feel like there was. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And I would suggest that many times, because we don't allow for that, we've got our book. We're going to cover this material. <laughs> Did you read your chapter this week? And again, I'm not opposed to that. But the challenge with that is you might not be, your life might not be in that chapter of that book. Right. You might be out here someplace, and if you're in a group setting, you're either A, not going to read the book, or B, if you read the book, you're going to feel like, well, this doesn't apply to me. But what if I can bring that down to a more of a one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two relationship? And I can really hear your heart and what God's doing in your life. And I know the age-old question is, I'm not smart enough to disciple other people. I don't know enough. <laughs> You're all, if you've been saved for a week or two, you should begin discipling something. You should begin doing it. Why? Because you've got, and is it about knowing all the answers? Mike doesn't care if I know everything. He's more concerned that I care about him. <laughs> He understands John's not the smartest tool. He's told me that several times. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And I, I, I probably swing the pendulum too far the one way. But I feel like if we could begin to adopt a model that included more intentionally relationship, I think we could change this world. I think we could change this world. And see, I believe Paul said it kind of like this. Follow me as I follow Christ. That scares the liver out of me. But the truth of the matter is, if you're discipling someone, they are going to become like you. So in a sense, when I begin to disciple someone else, I'm also checking out my own life a little bit. Because I want to make sure... So I'm growing. I'm mature. From an inward pressure, I'm responsible for this person. I'm responsible for this person. So we find it being not only something I'm pouring into someone else, but, but I'm growing as well. And uh, I'm going to close and turn it over to Brent in just a moment. But um, when I was a kid, middle schooler, a varsity tennis coach came into gym class. And he said, hey, any kids want to learn how to play tennis? I didn't know what a tennis racket looked like. I never owned a tennis racket. But I went home that day and I said, Mom, the tennis coach wants to teach someone how to play tennis. Can, can we go down to the park this summer? And he said, I'll be there every morning, June, July, and August, and I'll spend three hours with you and teach you how to play tennis. And so I, I don't know whether mom wanted to get me out of the house, or whether she thought I was going to be a tennis star someday. But we went to the store and bought a tennis racket, and she took me to the park every morning for three months. And Coach Taylor did not teach a class. He showed us how to hold the tennis racket. He showed us how to hit a forehand and how to hit a backhand. He showed us where to put our feet on the court and posture ourselves for. And when we were doing it wrong, do it again, John. Do it again, John. Do it again, John. Three months. There's probably three or four of us that went every day that summer. The next spring, I was varsity tennis. Can I suggest to you that I feel we need to look at our disciples that way? We need to enter into their lives. Be willing to spend and invest the time in a relational, relational journey. And I believe when we do that, we will begin to not only impart the DNA that we have, what God's done in our lives, but we'll begin to impart the DNA of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Now just for a moment, dream with me.
Everyone in this classroom over the next year discipled one person. And next year, if those two people each discipled two people. And the next year, those four people discipled four people. The next year, those eight people discipled. Got the math with me? In about 12 years, we would disciple everyone who lives in the state of Ohio. To me, that's awesome. And for me, this is my plug, the White House is not going to change Ohio. The Senate is not going to change Ohio. But I know someone who can. Jesus Christ can change the makeup, not only of our state, but of our country and our world. Why? Because He's changed the makeup of my life. He's changed the makeup of your life. And if he did it for us, can he do it for someone else? I believe he can. Pastor Brent. Thanks, Pastor John. You know what? Pastor John just said. What he just said um, tells us that if we would just intentionally build relationships to help people grow, um, we could change our state. And it wouldn't take forever. And I think, I think keep that in the back of your mind. Is it worth it to make the changes necessary in your schedule and maybe in your church or how you approach um, growing with people? Is it worth it? I think it is. If we can. We could see that kind of powerful conversion and discipleship in, in our state. Wow. What a gift we could bring to, to our state. What a gift we could bring to the next generation. I uploaded uh, three different documents to the SCED app. Some of you already have that. Um, the outline that I'm going to use, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time with. Uh, is in front of you in a paper copy, um, but those those are available to you electronically if you want. Uh, but as I think about our journey of discipleship uh, in, in the church that I'm pastoring today, is I, I find several things that are important. Is I think first of all I've got to figure out what is it that I want people. To be able to do? What's the growth um, points that I'm looking at? In Pastor John's book, if you haven't already read it, some of you maybe have just gotten it for the first time, it's a great book. There's a lot of great information in it, and he does hit some of those things from um, discipleship goals of conversion. We want people to be saved. We want people to be baptized in water, spirit baptized to join a group, to be in a relational discipleship group, to, to serve, to share their faith, to invite, to make disciples. Um, I think also you've got, in all of those, you have the individual involved, that they may need a, a certain stepping point in between those things. They really, to be able to share their faith, maybe they need um, to be able, in prayer, to hear from God better. Uh, maybe they need a greater relationship with the Holy Spirit so that there's more courage and boldness. And we can surface those goals by asking uh, the person that we're in relationship with and say, you know, what, what is God working on in your life? What would you think would be the next step that you could take to help you in your walk with Jesus? So I think you can do it both ways. You certainly can set goals for people, and you can also surface goals um, from, your, from your disciples. I also think once you kind of know the destination, here, here's where we're headed. What's the vehicle? Pastor John talked about a one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two relationship. That's, that's a vehicle. Um, how can you use the group that you're involved in? Uh, maybe you, you have a small group. Maybe you're a part of a small group. Um, what does Sunday morning look like to make disciples? Uh, I'll give you a, an illustration that I stumbled upon. I think it's rather genius, but I don't think it was my idea. 
is that as we were discipling a group of people, one of the things we did was say, okay, so what, what, what can we do together as a group to grow in our relationship with the Lord? It just so happened that we were relaunching our, um, our, our prayer ministry <coughs> times um, after COVID, and we put them together in a group, and basically I, we, we just, that, made, that became our mission is not only are we talking together as a group about what God's doing in our lives, but we're giving them something to do on a Sunday morning as they're praying with people. Some were not very comfortable with praying with people. Some were very comfortable. So you put those people together, and, and I just found that we could use, utilize some things that we were already in place, but just think through how can... How can that group, how can the prayer ministry team, how can um, kids, kids ministry, how can that become a vehicle not only to disciple the kids, but to disciple the workers? What, what does that look like? So thinking through what you have available, um, the vehicle that you want to use. And then over the years, I've come to a point where I, I believe that there's some, some directions or um, some destinations that we want our disciples to reach, and how do we how do we get them there though? What's it look like to help somebody hear from God while they're reading the Word? What does it look like? So, um, in the middle of your your handout there under directions, um, you know, I think we have to start with trying to understand where, where are we headed? Come up with the, the first time you meet. It may, be, it may just be a casual conversation that you say, what do you feel is your next step? What does God want to help you with? And they say, I have no clue, Pastor. I have no clue, friend. I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe then you can, you can surface something, or, or maybe you can begin to deal with, well, why don't you know? You know, because that's a that's a step. They they probably should have some kind of an understanding about what God wants them to do. Where are we headed? The second thing is then once we understand where we're headed and we know where we're taking them, and let's use hearing from God while I'm reading the Word of God. Um, how, what's that look like? Well, one thing is you probably need over the next couple of weeks to read the Word of God, right? So let's hold each other accountable. I'm going to read. You're going to read. And uh, one thing I found that was really, it's really simple, and it works great, is we just do a group text. And the purpose of the group text is, what were you reading today? What did you hear from God? That ties in accountability. People are reading the Word of God more than I've ever seen them. And it's not, oh, man, you didn't do this, you know? It just is, it hits their phone, and... And, and sometimes they would text before I would, and I'm going, yeah, I haven't done that yet. So, um, you know, it was, it's just a, just a, a kind accountability. Um, apply it to me. So as you were reading, ask the question, what are you, what are you hearing from God? What's, what's God asking of you? Um, not only applying it to them and helping them to reach their own personal goals, I think the next thing is, is that we want them to be able to help others. So, so not only are we trying to, to grow personally, we, we have to learn how to help other people grow. So some people in your, in your discipleship circles or groups, whatever you want to call them, will be content just to learn themselves, but they're not investing in someone else. So you've got to push them a little bit to say, okay, so turn to the person next to you and ask them the question. Was that, was that so hard? Uh, what are you hearing from God when you read? What, what's God doing for you? So in, encouraging people to help another person grow. And then the next phase was let's talk about what it looks like to actually do something that's going to help us grow and reach our personal goals. Let's, let's together Plan a mission. Let's plan an activity. Let's think through something. So I found that this was really difficult for me at first. 
but as I've done this more, it, 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 it's become a lot easier. But if somebody is needing um, a, a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit, or they maybe they haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the church health uh, goals is that people be filled with the Spirit. Maybe the group goes to um, the Pentecost rally in your area that's coming up in May. Uh, and the goal is is that they attend that service and they go to the altar together and they pray with each other. Providing some kind of a context in which it puts them all on the spot to, to move them forward and to um, so, so plan the mission together and then go on the mission. And then lastly, talk about it. How did that go? What happened? Um, where are you at with, um, with what God's doing in your life? Where are you at with hearing from God? What help do you need? Um, and let not only you as, a, as, as the disciple maker, but let the rest of the group help one another. So I think if you think through those as, as kind of the, the flow, it will help a lot. So we've done, we've done this um, in Marion in several different ways. Some is very informal with people who I will just approach and say, will you um, meet with me maybe once a week or once every other week, and we want to pray together, and I want to invest in you. Um, I'm going to put you a part of a group text. We're going to read the word together. And it's just very informal. There's hardly any, there's no curriculum. We're not doing anything but reading the word of God together. Um, also, I found that I, I needed to develop something that would help us train people to be able to disciple. And so what, what's on your handout there, and then the other two handouts that um, are uploaded to the SCED app, talks a little bit more about what I would call the structure of developing disciples that are in Marion. So we're in a season right now. This is probably the third or fourth time we've gone through this. Some with the same group, others joined, some dropped out. Um, but we walk through those steps. The first time we meet, we talk about where are we headed. No agenda. You guys tell us where we're going to go. Sometimes it may be we feel as a, as a leader that this is what we need to hit. That's okay. But where are we headed? The second time we meet, we talk about applying it to us. Third time we meet, we, we plan our mission. And for us, it, sometimes it takes a couple a couple weeks to do that. Um, and then we, as you look there, on April 24th, we're going on a mission together. The following week will be about reflecting on our mission. So that has come from a lot of trial and error. Uh, but what's, what's exciting is slowly but surely, people are starting to understand what it looks like to be discipled and become a disciple maker. Don't get discouraged because you're going to have people have to watch, people have to imitate you, people have to um, come alongside. It may take a year or two with people because we're not starting from ground zero with this. Literally, we're probably starting in a deficit because, as Pastor John said, most of us think in the back of our heads that discipleship is about information. The apprentice side of things, the hands-on side, um, hasn't been accentuated. And so people don't even, some folks don't understand the need for it. Um, but I would lastly say this. We have a tendency to make students and teachers and then one day try to make some uh, develop people who can train teachers. Students, teachers, teacher trainers. What Jesus did with his disciples was he aimed right off the bat at helping them to be teacher trainers or disciple makers. Not just followers, not just disciples, but disciple makers. And if, if you keep that in mind, that's the end goal. The end goal isn't just that they, they learn to follow. That's great. But we've got to help them help other people learn to follow Christ. 
So. Uh, I want to just ask a couple questions, Pastor Brent, before we release it to them. You, you use the, the word mission, and sometimes when I hear the word mission, I think of going to the inner city and working with the group or going overseas and so forth. And I know that's not what you were saying. You were asking them, hey, uh, what, what is your personal uh, you like to see your personal life grow? Uh, in your understanding of the Word of God, how to apply the Word of God, seeking the path of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. Um, now, let's say you're in that setting, and, uh, you know, Jim's my partner, and I, hey, Jim, what do you want to accomplish? I want my golf game to get better. <coughs> okay, what if they suggest something that's not where you want to see this go? How do you guide them into focusing in on and I know that would never happen, okay? But I'm just <laughs> suggesting that, hey, I want to learn how to cook better, you know, or whatever. Uh, how do you kind of guide that conversation? Or uh, what, what are some of your experiences where you've had to guide that conversation a little bit? Just asking them, well, what's, what's God saying to you about that? How's, how, help me understand how that's going to help you uh, in your relationship with Christ. And I, I've learned not to just dismiss the, some of those crazy things, because there's a whole story behind why they want to involve them. So to ask that question, and, and it's helpful. Okay. Question, questions are your friend. I, I'm not quite sure by following you, help me. Good, very good. And then, uh, you know, when I think about, I'll say outcomes in a discipleship relationship, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of some, some specific things and I would want this group to know, I know we've got several pieces on this discipleship track today, but, but later today there is going to be a class uh, session on, on seven dimensions of discipleship. And those dimensions that they're going to talk about are prayer, Bible, worship, Holy Spirit, surface, service, mission, and generosity. Okay, so let's say, for example, going to the Bible, What's the Bible speaking to us? You mentioned, well, are you reading the Word of God? Okay, so that's a that's a discipline. Okay, we need to be reading on a regular basis. Now, again, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, there's weeks that I do pretty good with that discipline, and there's other weeks I don't do good with that discipline. So if I'm discipling you and I ask you, hey, we're reading through the Book of Mark, you know, where are you at? And you say, I've read through chapter ten. Well, I'm not still a first You know, there's a mutual accountability there, but, but at the same time, there's focus reading, there's focus. So, uh, and then, for example, Holy Spirit, you mentioned that. You know, uh, there are people that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but, but they're not cultivating that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said what? I'm going to send another comforter, someone just like me, and he'll be with you forever. So not only what does baptism of the Holy Spirit look like, what does living in the Spirit look like, you know? And so all I'm suggesting is that, that we have a great opportunity to meet them where they are, either in a one-on-one, one-on-two, or a small group setting, and, and we're able to guide them where God wants to take them, where God... And how many of you know that self-discovery is a lot more powerful than being told. Self-discovery is a powerful teacher. When, I, when I'm doing my study or my research and so forth, and I discover something for myself, and it sticks with me. But if I listen to a sermon, what did that guy say? You know, it was good, but, you know, that's that, and that's what we're talking about here, really, is we're helping to mine out of them what God's doing in their life. But we're saying it happens in a greater way when there's a relational component to this and not a classroom component. So uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, um, you know, in your experience so far, Marion, what have you found to be a comfortable sized group? I mean, is there a place where it becomes a little bit challenging to, to keep these group texts and these uh, dialogues going? I mean, could you do that and get it all differently? But realistically, Jesus discipled 12. Okay? So realistically, what have you found to be a good-sized group in your context? Um, to be candidly honest, we, we don't have like 
20 people that really want to do this, so, right. so we don't have that sure. issue. But um, I would say four, five, six is, is kind of a sweet zone for us right now. Um, we do have a, a group text that is nine or 10, and sometimes people don't really participate. Not everybody participates. The smaller it is, it seems like the more they participate. Sure. So. Yeah. And uh, is there a sense that your ultimate goal, you mentioned training disciple learners, uh, I get the sense that you're hoping that there would be a group that would kind of rise to the top that they might then have, you know, they might have a discipleship group of three or four. And so instead of one to seven or one to eight, it would be one to three, one to five, and there'd be multiplicity of groups within your context. Yeah, I certainly don't want to be the only disciple maker in the, sure. in the church. And um, and I do think, again, that is one of the biggest challenges, is, is moving people from thinking that I can do this, and, and it takes a while for them, I think, to walk through the discipleship process with someone else. They've got to watch it, they've got to experience it, they, they, got to have some reflection till, till they feel competent in doing it. Uh, because discipling someone requires a really high level of innovation. Is If you take an average believer and say, have a conversation with somebody and determine what their next growth goal is and help them with that, it sounds simple, but it's really, really hard. It's hard to do that, and you don't you don't really know how to do that unless um, you know you walk through that yourself with someone. So I want to push them. I want to push my leaders to make disciples, and they're they're not ready yet. Right. So it just it takes it takes a while. Right. So I want to ask you a question. Uh, when when we surface this concept, and it's not new, uh, but. You know, what are some things that you say this could be a challenge with this concept? Anyone? I'm going to ask you that question. You know, what do you see as some of the hurdles? I would say, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jim. Nerves. Okay. Okay. I would say commitment. Okay. You know, discipleship equals relationship. Relationship is time. Time requires commitment. Okay. And if you're going to try and have a relationship with you and a guy that it requires commitment and that other person is going to know right away if I'm faith and it's not going to work. Okay. Okay. So there's a level of commitment not just from the disciple lead right. but from the disciple or oh, I would say more commitment. Okay. Okay. So nerves, uh, commitment, yeah. Um, honesty and vulnerability. Okay. I think even the the disciples knew Jesus's, uh, his, his strengths and his weaknesses even as he got close to, especially Garden of Gethsemane. Yep. They saw him under the pressure and uh, they saw the things that they knew the sure. things that he liked and hated. And so I think even as a discipler, you have to be available to let, let some of your uh, weaknesses show. Sure. And, uh, and I think that helps. Yep. But it's not always easy right. at the same time. Well, and I would rephrase that. You said it very well, but I would rephrase that. The disciples saw Jesus' humanity. Yeah. And let's be honest about it. Sometimes we don't want our disciples to see our humanity. Yeah. You know, we're still a sinner saved by grace. Yeah. You know, we're not perfect. Right. And you don't have to be perfect to disciple no. other people. No. But the enemy puts that in our head. Oh, yeah. oh, you're still struggling this area, so you can't decide. We wait till that day, man. We're all going to be raptured in heaven, you know, before we do it. You know, so. But good point. You know, they saw his humanity. They saw, you know, they saw him tired by the well. You know, they saw him in the morning when he first got up praying and so forth. So, anyone else? What do you see as some of the hurdles of this? I think frustration. Okay. On the disciplers' part, because we know that we want this person to be saved, but yet that person still resists. Sure. Yep. Yep. And that's a good point. And uh, see, I believe discipleship begins even before conversion. I think in the past we think, oh, they got saved. We need to disciple them. But if you work in a secular environment, you have people in your shadow 
in your sphere that they're already watching your life. And they're asking questions and you're beginning discipleship relationship with them even before they make the commitment to serve Jesus. And uh, we just need to understand that. And there's frustration with it. My, my wife has been uh, a discipling a young lady now for almost two years. And there's some days that my wife feels like, praise God, we got victory in the camp. And there's other days she's like, oh my goodness, is she hearing anything I'm saying? You know? So there, there is that frustration with it. So, and with that frustration too is, you're going to start the journey with some that are not going to complete the journey. And then you're going to be made to feel like you just wasted the last three months. Or you just lasted, you know, and then, you know, and you may, you may experience that more than you want to. So that's why we've got to be committed to, I mean, to the, the principle. Because we are going to make an investment. God made an investment in us before he knew what our response was going to be. He died for the whole world. But everybody didn't say yes to the gospel. That didn't keep him from dying. And, and think about that. This yeah. is what the Holy Spirit has been leading me through this year. It goes right along with the discipline or the discipleship. But it also, it's an investment. Yes. Church, we need to realize we are investing in yep. the kingdom of God. Right. And when that stirs within us, our very soul and very being, then we are more than willing to say, yes, yep. I am willing to invest. Yep. talking about that investment piece. How many times do we lament in our churches that we don't have enough nursery workers? We don't have enough children's workers. We don't have this. Well, where are they going to come from? The church next door. No! no. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we, unfortunately, we see that. You know, Most of our churches grow from transfer growth. That's unfortunate. But, but what if, what if that young person that got saved a month ago, began a discipleship relationship with someone. And what if in about six months or nine months, they began saying, I really have a burden for these kids. I really have a burden for the teenagers of our world. And I, I really love senior citizens. And you just said, hey, why don't you volunteer? You don't have to make them the leader of the pack, but they can help. And you might find that that becomes part of their discipleship growth. I think there's a very fine, thin veil between discipleship and leadership development. Amen. Very fine, very thin veil there. I think part of discipleship is entering into work, entering into labor, so forth, because then we begin to, oh, i got to do a little more study here. You know, I've got to do a little more work. i got to pray a little more. Why? Because now I'm responsible for five or six preschoolers or eight or ten elementary kids or whatever. So... I think that investment will help us to build the church that God's called us to build and not from the church up the road. <laughs> but for people who get saved, and I believe everybody's saved to serve. I, you know, I, you know, you're either the mission field or you're a missionary. John, there's no in-between, so that investment can't, so. Yeah, I think, I think another thing that may be helpful is who, who do we decide um, sounds simple, but pray and ask the Lord to lead you to somebody. Um, look, look, look for hunger, or ask the Holy Spirit to help you see hunger in a person, and 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 take some time to be to pray. And then when you go to talk to them, say, you know, I've been praying about investing in you. You may think I'm crazy. But I just felt like the Lord has something specific that he wants to do in your life. And I'm willing to come alongside of you and invest in you. What, how does that feel to you? What's that look like? Is it, does, that, is it, does that spark a, any interest in your life at all? When I've done that, 
and I get a, a yes, the chances of that discipleship relationship not burning out or falling apart is, is very limited. It's rarely. But when I chase someone down and go, you, you really need to be discipled. Like, yeah, I know. That never works well. <laughs> and or signing up for class. You know, how many times have we had 12 people sign up for the class and six weeks into them, we've got six people, you know, and 12, whatever, you know, all of a sudden, why? Because there wasn't that sense of value. But when somebody comes up, I really want to invest in you. I really want to see some God do some good things. Would, would you be willing to, you know, spend some time together over the next whatever? I think that has merit. So, yes? Yeah, I also feel like being committed when we pray and, and God shows mm -hmm. that person, yeah. Being committed to that person because right. it's not us, but it's God that laid in our hearts. Right. And then, you know, never stop, never give up until that disciple becomes a disciple maker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's think about that for just a moment, that concept to pray, be committed to that prayer. What did Jesus do the night before he chose the twelve? Pray. How many did he have to choose from? I have no, it's not biblical as far as the number, but I get the feeling you could have saved thousands. You could at least say 120 or 70. But he prayed all night, and God said, These are the 12 that I want you to invest your life in the next year and a half. In a year and a half, Jesus focused down to 12 people. And so to that point, you know, I do believe God will speak to us. And if he's speaking to us, I believe he's probably speaking on the other end as well. And Pastor, you know, I'm glad you came to me. Or, Brother, I'm glad. I've been wondering about a relationship like this. I think God's working on both sides of the equation. That's just, again, my opinion. But, so, yes? Well, and along with what you're saying, I mean, so the 12, but then there were three. So I yep. think that there are different levels, mm -hmm. you know, and we have to be aware of that. And the other thought that comes to mind is personal preference. I think sometimes it's easy to be with certain people yep. or easier to be with certain people than others. And, right. and, and we need to not let those personal preferences become a barrier. Right. Last year, I had the opportunity to invest in a young man for about 10 months or so. And... Um, and God just laid him on my heart because he was kind of a loner. And he really didn't have a lot of friends. And, uh, you know, uh, and so I just texted him one day, hey, you want to meet for coffee? And over a period of about two or three months, I began to realize that he wasn't, he didn't like to read. He would rather listen to things. And so I didn't ask him what he was reading in the Bible. I would ask him, hey, what podcast have you listen to lately or what sermon have you listened to and it was just an interesting you know time to have him share something and then dialogue back and forth and so forth uh, and then from that you know uh, we began to really understand why he was a little quiet and why he was you know uh, and uh, it's just an interesting journey uh, of why you choose who you choose and uh, the gravitation you might have together um, the young lady, my wife, is discipling right now. She's a single parent, and uh, uh, she, uh, during COVID, came within probably a month of making the worst decision in her life. And uh, you know, my bar, my my bar, uh, Miss Barb, uh, talked her off the ledge. And uh, since then, uh, they just had a really close relationship. Some of that's on phone, some of that's texting, some of that's face to face, uh, but it's just an ongoing relationship. So, uh, any other questions? I hear the natives wrestles out there. So. Point where you think it's you disciple as much as you can that person 
and then you move on to someone else. You can't disciple you know, a thousand people. Like you said, I discipled somebody for six months. Why did you come to the point that you were, did he move away, or did you, are you continuing that? Or did you come to the point where you feel as though you have fed into them as much as you can? That particular individual had, a, had a, a life change that caused that to not be able to continue. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, and, and I would suggest this, and again, I look back here, uh, there's a young man back here on the back row that uh, he probably doesn't remember, but we started a Wednesday night thing, or, and, and he's a truck driver, so he couldn't come, and I made the mistake of saying, well, what time can you meet, you know, it, it was some ungodly hour, you know, five or six o'clock in the morning or whatever, so we met at a restaurant for I don't know how many months walking through that material, you know, and, and so there is, but I would suggest that you know, you reach a point where you're in a sense releasing them, but but I think you'll always be a spiritual father to them. And I, I, I don't know how else to say that. You know, it's not that you're investing the same degree of time in them, but but that relationship that you forge over that time, it, it, I don't think it's ever going to go away. Why? And you might not be meeting them weekly or biweekly or whatever, but they're still thinking of you and they're calling you and, hey, what about this, what about that, and so forth. So that it gives you some time to invest in someone else. But there's a sense in which if, if you begin to really follow a relational pattern, you're going to have spiritual children. You're going to have spiritual grandchildren. You're going to have spiritual great-grandchildren. And uh, you're going to get to heaven... And there's going to be people walk up to you and they're going to say, you don't know me, but you know that one guy that you discipled? They discipled me. You know that one guy? And, and that's, to me, that's where this has so much potential. It's not about potential, it's investment. But we just got to grab, you can do this. You don't have to be a college graduate. You don't have to be the smartest kid on the block or whatever. You don't have to be spiritually deep. You can do this. You can form a relationship with someone, and you can walk them into a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We can do this. So, God bless you. Have a great day.